was pretty clear that the sign of his spirit and love being present would be the love that we show towards one another. That the, the evidence of the Spirit being in our midst, of Jesus being our Lord and Savior, he said, would be that the world will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. It will be evident in our relationships with each other. Just as, as we were, were singing and seeing God's signs of his presence in our midst, it is in how... We love one another. Um, it's in, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, it's interesting where, where Paul talks about how, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then, you know what the next thing he says? Put away bitterness, wrath, and anger, wrangling, and slander together with all malice. We grieve the Holy Spirit in our relationships with one another when they are broken. One of the, the great signs is being better together. How relationships are better with one another as we allow the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us. And so that's, that's our, our journey um, here in, in January and beginning of February uh, of how we are to be better together. How does, is God at work making um, better relationships, making um, us in Him relating to one another um, in, in ways that are more loving and caring and honest and, and real? And I think that's a huge need, a huge need in our world um, also. Uh, was uh, read, read an article and uh, heard uh, um, a little... Uh, um, podcast, uh, This American Life, about uh, Jill and Bill. And what Jill and Bill wanted to do, and what, what they did, um, is in one, one summer in, in New York City, throughout the city, in all the different boroughs and all the rest, they just spent their days um, on the sidewalk with a sign that said, Talk to me. And after... The initial suspicion, which about 95% of the people, you know, wondered what's the catch here. After they got through with that, it was amazing how total strangers would then turn around and talk to them and share with them things that were going on in their life. One police officer came up and just started talking to them about he'd been dating this girl for two years and she just came and told him that she dated this guy four times and now they were getting married. And so they sat and just talked. They just listened to him. You know, others um, would uh, would come and, and, and share about the trouble. One one um, uh, person came who'd been working with AmeriCorps, you know, in the city, and and was said that the job was rather dangerous. It put her in dangerous places, and and she had to quit because they wouldn't give her a, a cell phone just for safety and security. Just came and shared. Another person came and and talked to them for three hours until one in the morning. You know, sharing their dreams, sharing their, their pain. Uh, was a, he, he worked, um, one of the exciting things, he worked in an optometrist office. And he, he must have seen something in their eyes because he fixed up two patients and made, played matchmaker and shared that whole story with them. 
And what was fun, they would say, is that they would start a couple conversations and then they would multiply. You know, a crowd would start to gather and folks would just pair off and just talking to one another. And, and what they said in the midst of all this, in the midst of our, what, what was really the key? And, and what they said over and over again is that we listened without an agenda. We just listened. We, we weren't there to, to do anything else but to listen. So whoever they were listening to had the steering wheel. And they listened and engaged with them. And in a simple way, being better together, in better relations, relationship with one another, is to listen without an agenda. To put the spotlight on the other and keep it there. That, to, to listen with the goal simply of understanding the other instead of working to be understood. But to focus on listening to the other. Um, Paul um, gets at this in, in Romans 12 verses 9 and, and 10. It's uh, found on 923 in your pew Bible, or you can follow along um, uh, on, the, on the screen. Um, let's, uh, let's continue in prayer. Uh, gracious God, thank you for your written word. Thank you for your spirit who is in our midst. Now um, illuminate us. Shine your light in our own lives, in our own minds, our own hearts, our own souls to hear and receive from you. Give us ears to listen. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, we, we talked a little bit about this last week, and we talked about the different uh, New Testament words for love, and you, you want that detail, you can um, listen to, to last week. But even in this passage, we'll, we'll see two of them. Um, but the first one, let love be genuine. That's that agape love. That's that love of God. It's that one-way love that, that God demonstrates because it's the character of God. Has nothing to do with me or you, as we've been singing. That God loves us and is walking with us. That that we uh, even when we're running from Him, He is right with us, and it's because of God's character. It's just who He is. There's nothing we can do to make God love us less or more. That's agape love. It's totally based in His character and what He calls us to. What Paul's calling us to here. Last week we even said, you know, that to, to love another is to do what is. Best for the other to the best of our ability. To do what is best for the other to the best of our ability. And um, so here is what he's saying. Let your love be genuine. Um, Let it be without hypocrisy. Um, Let it be without pretense or pretext. Let it be real. Let it be without an agenda. Like like Jill and Bill were were sharing. They were just there to, to listen Without an agenda. No, nothing else um, was there. And it was amazing, amazing the opposition they, they got 
from that. Amazing. I mean, almost to a person. People would come up to them and say, you want me just to talk to you? What's the catch? Is is this candid camera? You know, is this punked? I mean, what, what's what's happening here? Uh, you're going to sell something to me later? Is you going to give me a bill in a little bit? Or you from a cult? You know, is this just a, a bait and switch kind of thing? I mean, because folks were just cynical and they were suspicious throughout. And they're like, no. He said, once in a while, they get people to be mad at them. Who are you? They wouldn't even, they, they just come through and see it and find out that, well, who are you? You some pop psychiatrist or something? And they'd go and walk and tell them people, don't go talk to them. They'd think they're a pop psychiatrist. I mean, it was amazing the number of folks that found it hard simply to be listened to. Because there were always distractions that keep us from listening. They never took money. Um, even though one person that sat with him for the guy that sat with him for three hours and tell him about stuff tried to pay him a hundred bucks, and they're like, "No, we don't, we don't want money." Another, other folks say, "Man, you need to write a book about this," and they're like, "No, don't you get it? If I'm writing a book about it, I got an agenda. I'm here to get from you so that I can profit." No, there is no agenda. Not, I'm just here to listen with no agenda. And it's interesting. I mean, this was uh, 13 years ago, 15 years ago that they, they did this. And I've searched for them and I can't find anything else about them but this one It's American Life um, episode and one New York Times article. They didn't write a book. They didn't start another company. They didn't do anything else with it. But simply for that summer, they just listened without an agenda. Um, uh, Paul goes on uh, to say, you know, love one another, mutual affection for each other. Yeah, that's the word for love. There's agape. There's also philos, where we get Philadelphia brotherly love. And that is a two-way love. That is a mutual love. And, and he's saying, now, I want you to have a mutual affection towards each other. I want this, this love to grow and move into not just a one-way, but a two-way genuine care and affection for each other. And the way to do this, you're, you're in a competition. We love competitions. This is how to get your gold medal. This is how to get the blue ribbon. I want you to outdo one another in honor and respect for each other. Yeah, I, I want, want you to, to honor and respect the stories and the ideas and the, the pain and the, the, the vision and the hope and the dreams of that other person. I want you to honor them. I want you to respect them. I want you to value their, their words and stories and dreams. And, and you value them. You honor them more than they honor yours. That's, that's the competition. Uh, un, uh, you, you outdo one another. In showing honor, showing respect, and showing value for the other. You know, this weekend is uh, uh, Martin Luther King weekend, and where we we celebrate him, which we'll have a, a service tonight up at House of Joy um, uh, to celebrate that as a, uh, a neighborhood. Um, uh, but there's a, a really a great article um, from Dr. Bernice King, you know, the Coretta and, and Martin's daughter. Um, and, and they asked her, what are the things that you learned from your parents? You know, what, what did they really teach you, whether they, they, it was taught or caught? And, and she listed about six things. But right in the middle, she said this, that they, they taught her and showed her that one of the biggest challenges in life 
is learning how to listen. Not just to what people say, but to what they're not saying. And really trying to hear what will bring value to everyone. One of the, so here, she's you know, the child of one of the greatest orators the, the world has ever known. And one of the top things that she learns is the focus and attention to listening to the other. And how that brings value. And, and, and Dr. King in other settings said that to, to the church. He said, you know, there are different gifts and abilities and all the rest, but all are called and gifted with the spirit that they can learn to love, that they can learn to serve. We can all learn to listen and to outdo one another in valuing and honoring the other. Also, I was reading some, some articles in the Harvard Business Review you know, about listening. You know, quite, quite a variety of different uh, entities that highlight the significance of, of uh, listening. And one is a quote from William Urry. He's the, the co-founder of the Harvard and current director of the Harvard Program of Negotiators where he trains and has been for years, negotiators and mediators. And he said, you know, the, the folks that negotiate and mediate the best, they are the best listeners. Because they, they listen for not just the words, they listen for what folks value and what, what is important to them, their, their pain and their dreams. And they, you bring those together in real negotiation. And the, the Business Review article went on to say you know, that we, we spend a lot of time training folks in how to speak, in, in how to write, in how to read, but nowhere near the amount of time and energy training in how to listen. And that is an absolute crucial necessity for business. And, um, and throughout uh, the, the, those articles and uh, a number of other um, uh, places of looking at what it means to listen, the hardest thing, what makes it most difficult to listen is to get yourself out of the way. Because we want to have the spotlight on ourselves. We, we want to, to be the ones that uh, are, we want to be honored, to be understood before we understand or honor Others. In uh, uh, one of the surveys they did, they, they, uh, some sociological surveys kept coming around that for the most part, we human beings, when we talk, 60% of our talking is about ourselves. So to listen genuinely means. That we're respecting and honoring the words of another. That we put the spotlight on them and not ourselves. Um, uh, Proverbs 18.2. Some of the wisdom literature of the scriptures focus us in some clear ways as well. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only in expressing personal opinion. The, the wisdom of the scriptures is, is clear. It says the same thing. That we're, we're fools when we focus on our own personal opinion before we focus on understanding the other. Yeah, and we, we probably all can, can relate, or at least 
I can relate real clearly. Um, uh, when I, someone else and I, we're talking together, uh, yeah, I tend to be asking myself, do I agree with what they're saying? Do I disagree with what they're saying? Um, what am I going to be saying in response? How, how can I find um, ways of putting my opinion in there? Or uh, have you ever been in a situation where you're talking with somebody else, but your mind is somewhere else and you're sort of nodding and listening, but then they stop talking and then you stop and you have no clue what they said. Uh, yeah, some of you chuckled in knowing as well. That we're distracted. That our, our, our focus is somewhere else but on the other person. And when, when what? When we listen, when we're outdoing one another in honor, when we're listening genuinely, then what we're asking is, what are they saying? What are the, the facts that they have experienced? What are the feelings and emotions that, that they are sharing? What are the dreams that they're hoping for? What are the pains that are dragging them down? That's the question that we ask when we listen with the wisdom of the Proverbs uh, Proverbs eighteen thirteen says something uh, similar. If one gives answer before hearing, it is folly and shame. Because if we give answer before hearing, who are we answering? We're not answering the person we're talking to. If we're not hearing them, we're, we're answering them according to me or something else, but not hearing. We're not, we're not hearing. We can't answer what they're really asking. Um, uh, a colleague in ministry shared this story, and this was a long, long time ago. Because there used to be uh, a number called 411. We have a saying now, give me the 411. That's sort of an old saying even, you know, the information. You used to be able to call 411, and there'd be a person on the other end, and you could ask them, hey, I'm looking for the phone number for this person. And they would look it up and give it to you. Well, my colleague in ministry called, and what he was looking for was a number for a publication called Theater Arts. So he called, you know, 411, asked for the number, and the person on the other end said, oh, there is no person listed here named Theodore Arts. And he goes, well, no, uh, you know, uh, it's not a person I'm looking for. It's a, it's a company, and they're, they're named Theater Arts. Can you give me that number? Well, I'm sorry, sir. There is no person here named Theodore Arts. And so he says, all right, well, no, it's not um, uh, Theodore. It's theater. T-H-E-A-T-E-R, Arts. To which she responded, that is not how you spell Theodore. So he you know, gave up. If one gives an answer before hearing, it is folly and shame. Uh, another episode of This American Life, uh, it's interesting, Ira Glass uh, has some really uh, um, interesting pieces on listening, which just shows how human this is. This is part of God's created order in terms of being better together and better relationships. But this is a story about Matt and Rosie. 
And Matt's a single dad of Rosie and uh, Rosie's sibling. And uh, Rosie was nine years old when they moved into uh, New York. Um, uh, the dad was a professor in a university, a, a philosophy professor. And uh, Rosie, you know, they'd been in the school, but, you know, making friends, it wasn't happening. And she was just uh, sad and, and, and she, she need, was, was feeling disconnected um, from her dad. And so, but she, uh, you'll we'll find here, Rosie, she's a sharp little nine-year-old because she realized where, what dad did and, and, and how he, he talked and loved to answer big questions. So she came up with a list of 50 Big questions to ask dad. You know, things like, what happens when you die? Is heaven another planet? Um, What is love? What is time? Why? Explain. You know, so dad, as a philosopher, you know, gets this set of questions and he's like, whoa. You know, and he starts to write down answers. And he he, he shared some of the the answers. And I won't go into that because I don't know what he was saying. Um, really, because he was quoting different philosophers and talking about existential elements of time, and uh, um, I'm not, I'm, and Rosie didn't get it either, but she knew that would get Dad's attention. And in the interview, uh, the interviewer asked um, Matt, "So, is it true that you weren't talking to her much during that time? You know, were you you know, focused on your stuff?" and, and he said, well, no, I think I was talking to her all the time. Um, you know, I, I, would, I would tell her that it was time to get up and to go to school. I would tell her that it was time to do her homework. I would tell her that she needed a new jacket. So, yeah, I mean, I, I talked to you all the time. And Rosie was, was there. And the interviewer said, uh, are you noticing that everything you're talking to her about is logistical? And he, again, looked at Rosie, but I I was talking to you all the time. To which, by the time of the interview, Rosie was 12. So she'd definitely grown in proverbial wisdom. She said, yeah, but to me, it's not really the same thing. A conversation and talking are completely different things. Talking could be arranged from, oh, hey, what's up? And conversation is, you're deep in thought. And you're looking and you're making eye contact and you're really enjoying the presence of somebody else. Rosie was only asking one question, right? Dad, I'm hurting. Let's be together. The interviewer went on with, with Rosie to say, you know, your dad took your 50 questions, and this is three years later. He's still working on them. He's still writing to answer your, your questions. See, so it wasn't a, a, an, an issue of their affection for one another. It was affection of just listening. He, he says, I had no, or, or she said, I had no idea that he was doing all those things. I mean, that's just a big surprise for me. And when she got back with her dad, she told him, Dad, you can stop answering the questions. That's really not the, not the issue. And dad said, Matt said, yeah, it threw me for a loop. 
You know, I was in there. I was pouring into it. I was giving it my, my best shot. And then he said, yeah, I guess that was a complete waste of time. To come up with these big, extensive answers that are definitely less important than just listening to the questions. He goes on, you know, one of the questions. What is time? Why? Explain. And Matt said, well, I can tell you what I don't want time to be. I don't want time to be something where I'm just figuring out that I need to shut up and make some time to listen to this little kid before it's too late. Just like with Bill and Jen, listen without an agenda. Don't even feel like you have to have all the answers. Just understand. Sometimes you don't even have to understand the questions. But just listen and engage and be. You know, you find this struggle with listening, particularly in times of trouble, particularly in times of grief and loss, because I think the same thing with Matt. We all have a genuine desire to help. We all want to alleviate the pain in some way, whatever it might be. But oftentimes, that desire is more about me than it is you. You know, am I wanting to, to help you in the midst of your pain or your loss or your, your trouble because I want to feel better? Do, do I want to get rid of the pain that I'm now feeling because of what, or the grief that I'm sharing with you or the helplessness that I feel in this moment? Again, is it, or, or is, is it I'm trying to be the hero in this? You, know, you see how subtly we can take that, or I can. Take that spotlight and just move it back on me. Or can I listen to you without an agenda? To trust God to be the hero. And to trust the other person as well. I had a conversation this week with a Nigerian friend, a teenager. And they uh, um, were very distraught because of the reported vulgar language of our president about Haitia and uh, Haiti and uh, Africa. And their refugee status is up in the air. As, so as a teenager, I mean, they were distraught by that. And the, the good thing was in the midst of this conversation, there were a number of folks who knew simply how to be and to listen and to not let their own anxiety or their own pain or their own desire to help or their own helplessness guide them, but simply to hear and to listen and to understand. And what great peace that was, even in the midst of all that. I ran across a, a quote from Kay Warren that, that speaks to this as well. Um, Kay Warren is the wife of Rick Warren, who's the pastor of a large church out in California, um, a Saddleback Church, you know, the 40 Days of Purpose or the Purpose Driven Life. You may remember that. That was what uh, um, uh, Rick wrote uh, about 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. And, uh, but in the midst of that, their, their son at 27 um, committed suicide. 
And so there was a, just a huge struggle and move through that grief and loss and, and pain and, unan- and unanswerable questions. And this is what um, Kay uh, said as she just shared those that truly came alongside her without an agenda. She said those who are true helpers are those who wait for the griever to emerge from the darkness that swallowed them alive without growing afraid, anxious, or impatient. They don't pressure their friend to be the old familiar person they're used to. They're willing to accept that things are different. Embrace the now scarred one they love and are confident that their compassionate, non-demanding presence is the surest expression of God's mercy to their suffering friend. They're okay with messy and slow and few answers. And they never say, move on. And in those, those times of real of pain, that's where it's the, the most obvious, uh, most difficult to listen without an agenda, to listen genuinely. And James uh, also uh, says it um, well in James chapter 1, verse 19, uh, where he says that we are to be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen, slow to speak. Dietrich Bonhoeffer also had a, um, a shared a, a piece about listening in his book, Life Together. Now, Bonhoeffer was a theologian, a German theologian during uh, World War II and before that, during the Third Reich, and was uh, in part of the um, uh, organized uh, resistance to um, Nazi Germany. He eventually was imprisoned and eventually executed. But in the, in the midst of, of that, uh, did a lot of writing and teaching. Here's one of his about listening. Um, Christians, especially ministers, now he moves from preaching to meddling here, so often think they must always contribute something when they are in the company of others. That this is the one service they have to render. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. Many people are looking for an ear that will listen. They do not find it among Christians. Because these Christians are talking where they should be listening. But he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon be no longer listening to God either. He'll be doing nothing but prattle in the presence of God too. This is the beginning of the death of the spiritual life. And in the end there is nothing left but spiritual chatter. It's not just with one another, but also with God. And we, we're better together with one another, with God. And listening is a key element, a crucial element. I mean, just, just think about just the, the, the different stories that we've looked at even in this time together. I mean, it's crossed all kinds of different disciplines. We're talking about perfectly um, uh, just outsiders, just anybody and everybody on Times Square. They're ready to listen. 
Or the, the, the experts in the, the business world saying, no, listening is a key skill from the greatest orator our country's ever seen. Listening is the greatest challenge and from the very word of God. Listening is a core element of relationships with those outside the church, with those inside the church, with business associates, with friends, with enemies with God. It was interesting in a number of those settings, both in the, the, the Christian settings and in the, the ones that weren't explicitly um, Christian but are tapped into the wisdom of God, even though they don't even know it, would, each one would say that one of the keys of listening is to learn to be silent alone, to unplug, to turn down. And just to be in the presence of God. And listen. That's the place that we practice. That's the place where we learn to listen. And it has a powerful impact on every relationship. Whether it's strangers, outsiders, the workplace, or at home, parents, children, spouses, and also with God. Let us learn to listen without an agenda, to listen genuinely so that we might be better together. Let's practice that silence in prayer, at least for the first minute of our time of prayer together, and just listen for what God is uh, maybe saying to you, impressing upon you. Let's pray.